guardian angels and patron saints, pray for us. Readings for the last week or so have been circling around this idea of speaking well. Speaking well, the importance of our speech. Just this past Friday, we had a reading from Sirach, which is where our first reading from today comes from. A kind mouth multiplies friends and appeases enemies. Gracious lips prompt friendly greetings. Our first reading today, when when a sieve is shaken, the husks appear. So do one's faults when one speaks. Praise no one before he speaks, for it is then that people are tested. I don't know about you, but this emphasis on speech can seem a little superficial, can it? After all, we all know how cheap words can be. Today we're exposed to a steady stream of confusion, obfuscation, flattery, diversion, promotion, and filler from our chattering classes and their sponsors, all these commentators and public figures, talking heads that fill our ears with words that mean very, very little. We all know how cheap talk is, but so did our Lord. He was unsparing against the misuse of words, whether by politicians or by publicans or by churchmen. The very next verse in the gospel that was just proclaimed this morning says, why do you call me Lord, but don't do what I command you? Talk is cheap. In his teaching on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, he insists we ought not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, he says. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. So clearly there's something deeper at work when our Lord and the writings of the wisdom books point to our speech as a source of knowledge of our true character. A good man utters what is good from his heart's store of goodness. The wicked man from his heart's store of wickedness can utter utter nothing but what is evil. It is from the heart's overflow that the mouth speaks. A different translation than what we heard this morning. The Greek word being translated here as utter is the Greek word proferein, to bring out. Capturing the sense of Jesus' analogy here, of the storehouse of the heart overflowing into, into words, into my conversation. Now, the reason we take our speech so seriously is that we are disciples of the Word. That's a uniquely Christian belief that in God there is the Word. Our theology insists that there is a Word in God. But that word is the perfect expression, as if somebody could completely express themselves by some utterance, 
some bringing forth of themselves. And this perfect expression of who God is, is what we call a begetting. A begetting of his son, a speaking of a word. Sooner or later, we who are created in God's image and likeness, imitate this as a matter of our nature. Sooner or later, who we really are comes out in our words. Sooner or later, what I really care about, what really matters to me, is going to be shown there. Perhaps not in one specific utterance, but what we might call the integral. We integrate the function. We do an average. We create a word cloud. I'll say what that is in just a second. Aristotle, one of the first people to really sit down and think this through, came up with three possibilities of what that word might be. Pleasure, honor, or wisdom. Aristotle says, in one way or another, all of us seek out one of these three things as our highest goal. The thing that is most valuable, what we treasure in our storehouse, and what we bring out in that overflow of words. Back when I had uh, one of those old things called a weblog, which nobody has anymore, thing of the past, it's like a, the equivalent of a scroll. Back when I had one of those, you could create what was called a, a word cloud. What it would do is it would, it would take all the things you've written on your weblog, and it would count all the uses of each individual word, and then it would create a graphic that looked like a cloud, it's just a mess of words, a pile of words, but their size would be the number of times that you use them relatively compared to the other words. So all the things that you talk about in your blog would be summarized there in this cloud of words, and there in the middle would be the big word. The big word in your word cloud. We all have one. Think of our lives as a word cloud, our hearts. That, that big word, then, that our hearts circle around like a center of gravity. I'm not sure what mine would be right now. I could come up with some possibilities. Maybe whoops. <laughs> or maybe cigarette, because I quit smoking and it's all I think about. <laughs> Yes, mom, if you're listening, I did quit smoking. I don't remember what the big word was from my weblog however many years ago. I don't know what it specifically was, but I know what it was. I can guess with almost 100% certainty what that word was. Nick. A little trick I'll do now is I can almost, with 100% certainty, guess what your word is, what your big word is. You all know it. It's you. It's true of me, it's true of you, and with very few 
but important exceptions. It's true of every single human being on earth. This is not to say what terrible people we are. It's to say this is the human condition. This is what we're born into. And this is the task of our life. Is to put something at the center other than ourselves. Pope Benedict XVI, when he was still a theologian, simply writing as a, a kind of reflective authority, a theological authority in the church, said that there will always remain in human beings this conflict of two opposing forces of gravity. He calls them a, a, a kind of field of gravity. The gravitational pull of interest, self-interest, egoism, and the gravitational pull of truth, and love. The first of egoism is always the one that is most natural to us. It points us to what we think of as the more plausible way of acting. But the second, the second will continue to exist in us only if we repeatedly reject the gravitational pull of self-interest in favor of what is true. If we're ready for the change that this will require of us, and if we're prepared to let ourselves be transformed and molded into the image of Christ. What Ratzinger is saying there is that in the end, there's only two big words that we can choose from. Myself, and God. My name or God's name. The Word. Jesus. St. Augustine talked about how in the end there's only two kinds of people in his great work, The City of God. I've talked about this many times. But we have to return to it again and again. Two kinds of people. They belong to the city of God or the, the empire or the kingdom of God where they belong to the city of man or the kingdom of man. They're defined by what they love. Those who belong to the kingdom of God love God to the point of forgetfulness or even contempt of self. And those who belong to the kingdom of man love themselves to the point of forgetfulness or even contempt of God. Those are the two basic Big words. Now, it is helpful, as Aristotle attempted to do, to specify what exactly, under what aspect, I'm putting myself in the center, whether that's pleasure, or whether that's the respect of my peers or of society, or whether that's some other endeavor. It's helpful to identify that. But we have to hear in that thing again and again, the echo of our own name and that gravitational turning in on ourselves that is the very thing God wants to save us from. Now, how do we overcome that? How do we address that problem? In some respects, it's as different and unique as every single one of us. All of us have our own particular challenge. But I'll give you a shortcut 
Not really a shortcut because it takes your entire life, but how about a secret? You may not know what it is that your life is orbiting around, in what aspect I am simply turning around and around and around myself. You may not know how exactly I'm doing that. It may not be clear. So, if you want to change, put Jesus there. It doesn't matter how I interface the two. I just say, whatever's there, I'm going to cast it down and put Jesus there again and again, every day. I'm going to begin my day with the Lord. I'm going to end my day with the Lord. I'm going to live out my day with the Lord. I'm going to find ways to objectively push myself out of this little orbit that I've created. This little circling around and around and around the same things that keep me trapped in, in myself, unable to be responsive to the inspirations of grace, to the presence of God in the world. We do this above all in the Mass. How often do we experience the Mass as simply me turning around and around in myself? I hear it in the confessional all the time. I, I come to Mass and I don't, I, I'm just not there. I'm not present. I'm caught up in my own stuff. <laughs> I, I don't know that that's a, a particular sin, but it's a sign. Yeah, that's where I'm at. That's what I'm circling around. I can't engage. I can't escape this orbit. And so patiently, and even in hidden and ways known to God or ourselves alone, we put him back there at the center. Something happens when we do that. It's not just an exercise. It's not just a gesture. But a real and true moment of conversion that makes us light. Able to escape the orbit of ourselves and find the beauty the happiness and the joy of making Jesus our big word. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.